Hey, yo, here we go. Another episode of We Talk Comics on the air and in your ear. Once again, I'm Martin, though some of you would know me as Mo. Uh, it's Martin, really. You get it right. And uh, I got Mr. Brett Podcast, the king of the casters with me. That's and right. uh, cool Keith cool Keith Callback. And uh, freak show Chris Beck. Greetings uh, and salutations. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, it's a little bit different of a show here today, so I'm just going to throw it over to you, Keith. All right. I was, the tables have turned in this episode. This is, uh, this, this is a new thing for us as part of our grand 10th anniversary season. Uh, <laughs> <The 10th laughs> we just call every, every episode that happens to be posted this year, part of the 10th anniversary season. I like it. Uh, <laughs> This week, uh, this episode, this week, we'll be uh, we're interviewing the writers, creators of a graphic novel that is up on Kickstarter right now. Uh, the uh, strange bit of this, the the interesting bit for for us, is that two of the hosts of the show are these uh, writer creators. Uh, Brett and Martin have. Uh, Finally brought their work into the world, and they're uh, they've got it on Kickstarter right now. So let's start with uh, with Brett. Give us a pitch. Give us the pitch for what this book is. That's a book. No. <laughs> Wait, oh, no, no. 100, yeah. oh, 200 pages. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Five long years, 200 pages. That's a, that's a big giant part of the pitch. <laughs> no, it's it, this is a book where it's one of those really big hair metal bands kind of thing that was on the sunset strip in the eighties. And over the years, they fractured and split apart because of a lot of tensions of the band. Well, the time is finally right. The money was right. Everything was right to bring the biggest lineup of the band back together for a reunion tour. But on the, on day one of that tour, the, those same tensions are, showing up again. So we're starting to wonder if they're even going to make the end of the first show, let alone the entirety of the tour. And the book kind of follows the whole of that night while flashing back to other moments within the within their careers that kind of show where the tensions came from. When does the, the this story take place? Well, basically the the current part, the reunion tour is modern day yeah. and then everything else is just kind of flashing back to whether it be sometime in the early 80s it can be in the mid 90s that kind of thing we actually flash back to quite a few time periods but it's generally considered that 2021 well i mean sans covid would be would be when the reunion tour happens February 2020, just put it on the upper corner of... Uh, oh, okay, February 2020. There you go. It's like how you place every horror movie uh, in like the month before everyone got a cell phone. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> we've got to, we have to backdate everything to February 2020. Uh, we, we missed, we didn't get the title of the book. So, uh, Madden, what's the title of the book? And, and tell us about what kind of music do these guys do? Okay, it's called The Kings of the Strip. As we said, it's one of the bands from the Sunset Strip on the uh, old Hollywood there. And uh, if you're familiar with the bands of the 80s, the Sunset Strip, we're talking bands like Poison and Guns N' Roses. Motley Crue. And, uh, Motley Crue, yeah, uh, Warrant. Uh, you know, these are, the, these are the bands. So we're talking about that hair metal, glam metal sound, and that's what the band is. And 
And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, we describe it as very much as a slice of life story that just so happens to be a life with more sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I have to say I'm a little insulted that you made a list of that many hair metal bands and Pretty Boy Floyd was not included. They're definitely an influence. Uh, your, your, your credentials are now suspect. <laughs> Full disclosure: uh, uh, Christopher and I have already supported the Kickstarter, so uh, that we're we're bought in. Um, so, <laughs> so you, you you mentioned like what bands you know were around at that time. Now a lot of these bands, Motley Crue uh, being one of the most famous to have to have a tell-all book come out about them. Uh, did you? Obviously, for legal reasons, the book's not based on any specific band. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's but, but were there? Did you draw inspiration from some of those uh, like tell-all books and stories that have come out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have a very large library of of biographies and autobiographies from this type of band that that I've read and done a lot of research on and just kind of dug through for stories. Now, it's it's interesting because. There's this is the main reason that we're even doing the book because we love these stories and we love the era, but a lot of the stories didn't actually make it into the book because this winds up being kind of an origin of the scene, the band that we're following. So we didn't have as much room to put those in. Yeah, there's still a few in there though. I mean, and but I mean, there is just like the stories are great. Like the the Sunset Strip, it it, it was something you can't believe even existed that much debauchery and yet kind of a certain innocence about it at the same time, you know, um, it was a simpler time. Uh, but so it's a very, like the stories are great. The personalities that are there were great. Uh, and even when the fans are fighting and the stories about, you know, them not getting along and maybe somebody's a diva and somebody else is, you know, bit arrogant or whatever and then there's the drugs and all this stuff there's just so many stories that we can dig into uh we had to limit it but you know and the hope is we can do some more down the road well it's it's uh it's it's because chris and i have known for many years that you've been working on this book i i remember when you told us we were having our little christmas get together and you uh, you shared that information what seems like i mean it's pre-covid so it seems an eternity ago for us too <laughs> <laughs> i think of the book is taking place in 2016 not 2021 because <laughs> yeah. that's when we started it <laughs> but uh i mean either or but uh, yeah, I mean, that would have been like four years ago. We're like, we're working on a book. We didn't know it would take that long. And then since then, Keith, you put out two books. So, you know, but ours is 200 pages. <laughs> I was, I was going to say mine were briefer than yours. <laughs> yes. So, so you, you said I just, just the mention of uh, you couldn't fit everything. It feel, feels like you fit a lot. So, <laughs> so, so I, like, at what point did this kind of continue to grow out for you? Like, what was the original shape you were thinking of? And then like where it's gotten to. Well, it's interesting because the original core concept of the book is actually very much intact. Like the beginning scene or the very end scene are exactly as I conceived when I kind of thought of this five, six years ago. It's all of the stuff that's in the middle, because what would happen is that as we were trying to tell these stories, we would be like, oh, well, we need to tell this story and we need to kind of throw this in there because every character needs to have their their moment so that you actually give them like some characterization. But then we would kind of go through 
And since we did it in that almost like Tarantino-esque style of being able to tell it out of order, then we would realize, ah, I think we need a scene to do this, and I think we need a scene to do that. And I think that's kind of where it more ballooned up a little bit, is because in order to tell a story that everybody would understand, we had to keep adding a few more pages here and there. Yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, a scene wouldn't make sense. A chapter wouldn't make sense in the book. Uh, it's the story of the scene, so I don't want to get that confused uh, since that's the name of the band. But the chap a chapter in the book wouldn't make sense unless we gave it context. And then we gave it context with another chapter. And then it's like, but that won't make, then people will want to know what the follow-up is to that. Where, how does that finish? So now it just starts growing and expanding. So it went from being, we were thinking, probably being 80 pages or so to, you know, 200. Now, I've known you guys for years. I know you guys are the right right guys to do this type of book about hair metal. You guys have been interviewing people for We Talk Music podcasts uh, within the genre for a really long time. Has any particular interviews uh contributed or shaped the story in any way well there's no question about it i mean there's i mean yes to shaping the story i mean you mentioned pretty boy floyd earlier i mean we've talked to a couple of members of pretty boy floyd i mean you know one of them we talked to for three hours so i mean there's no question that you kind of you get a feel I mean, we have a lot of guys, David Reese, who's just been absolutely so wonderful to us. Uh, he was in Accept Bangalore Choir. We've had Danny Vaughn tell us some amazing stuff. He's with Taiketo. Um, Craig Goldie, who played with Dio. I mean, these guys have just been so nice and have really given us their time that even if their stories haven't necessarily made it in right away, their time and their support has made just an enormous difference to you know, us getting this out there. Good, good, good answer. I mean, that blew me away. But I mean, a little name droppy, but. <laughs> I, can, I can name drop some more. <laughs> I, I, I liked it. It was too much to mention Pretty Boy Floyd, but last time. So I think the mention of Pretty Boy Floyd is kind of hard to get exactly right. You could only say half of Pretty Boy Floyd, so like Pretty Boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pretty Boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. We only we only interviewed two of the four members, but yeah, like we say, we talked to Christy Crash Majors for three hours. That guy, I think, gave us more insight to what it was like on the Sunset Strip than any other person. Like he he went. We asked him. It's like, okay, well, what were the different clubs like? Oh, he yeah. goes into this in-depth explanation of the personality of each one of the, the clubs on the Sunset Strip in the 80s, you know, that the bands would play. And the things like that were, like, really helpful. Well, uh, tell us a bit about the, your main uh, your main cast here, your main characters. Well, TK Grace is, the, is our lead singer, and he's one of these guys who – He's kind of comes from the Brett Michaels, David Lee Roth school. So it's he's not the greatest lead singer, but he's an awesome front man and he knows how to handle a crowd. And more importantly, he looks really good. So he attracts a lot of chicks. <laughs> and so, you know, that's it's kind of that that vein uh king mob who is our lead guitarist he's kind of based off of dawkins george lynch he's a bigger guy he's 
absolutely incredible as a guitarist, but he's a complete and utter prick. <laughs> then we have not that George Lynch, who we talked to, by the way, is a complete and utter prick. No, no, no. George, George, George is a guy who well, but and I think you know, kind of. They're both similar, not in the prick side, but in the fact that you just have to get to know them to truly understand them. <laughs> Uh, Gil Jupiter is our rhythm guitarist and essentially kind of the Nikki Six band leader guy. He's the guy who wrote all the songs and and really the band is his concept and his idea and he wants to drive it. But he's also pretty insecure. He thinks that he should be the lead guitarist of the band, but he's actually just not really good enough to be the lead guitarist. So he harbors a lot of resentment towards King for him coming in and the band hitting because of King and King getting more spotlight and more press. Then we have Jerry Amber, who is our bassist. He is the oldest member of the band. He's the guy who was with the Hula Boys. They are uh, kind of like our Beach Boys and uh, during one of their iterations and, and wound up having a hit there. So he's kind of the guy that they brought in in hopes of kind of mentoring the rest of the band. Unfortunately, he's a big time party guy, likes his drugs, likes his alcohol, likes his um, lots of women. So he may not be the best mentor for the band. And then finally, we have Stevie Sticks Strider, our drummer. He is King's best friend, the guy that King brought into the band no matter what and will always pretty much be around for King. But also, he's the guy that is the most stable of all the band members and is kind of the guy that they've, you know, tasked to police Jerry in his, uh, to avoid him going too crazy. That's right. Also, just as big as the band members is the band manager. And he's the unofficial sixth member of the scene, Nigel Rogers. He's a British guy you know, who uh, wanted to run a label and instead ended up managing. He takes care of the scene. He always gets his way. He's very manipulative. He always gets his way. Luckily, his way is usually what's for the best for the band. And it's not really sure. Is he getting them doing this because it's best for the band and he cares about them? Or does he do it because it's best, whatever's best for the band is also best for him because it makes him the most money. And uh, I got to say, by the way, George Lynch, while we uh, were talking about uh, he. You know, we got to say we did have the interview. It was tremendous because at the same time, he was also building one of his custom guitars that he builds. So it would be like, yeah, guys. When I'm on stage. (laughs) (laughs) He was putting on it. He would he was painting. So he'd wind up putting on one of those big masks and he'd still be. And so you'd hear like, oh, great. (laughs) <laughs> not the best interview but a great moment for us we knew yeah and then and then he dropped completely out and i thought like oh was he calling back i tried to phone him back and then two hours later he phoned me back Tremendous. <laughs> 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 like uh the interview's over now it's two hours later <laughs> well and, well, and, then, and then just for a little more context we talked to uh, jeff pilson who was also uh, worked with George for a very long time, was also in Dokken, and we mentioned that to, to Jeff, and he was just like, yeah, that's George. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the two of you co-writers, co-creators, uh, 
who is on the art for this book? Well, our artist is J.C. Grande, and he is from El Salvador. We we kind of dug him out um, from a whole bunch of people. He The thing that we liked about him was that he had worked on a lot of books. Like, he's worked on image books. He's worked on, on all sorts of things. So when he came in at the price that we were kind of looking to pay, you know, a little bit higher, but like... We looked at that and kind of knew right off the bat, he said that he really liked the type of music and could bring what we needed to the table. And he was willing to commit to doing a 200-page book, and frankly, that's pretty hard to find artists that are willing to commit to that long uh, process. Yeah, that's one thing we can definitely recommend to people if you're going to uh, do a really long book. It's one thing if you're going to do a you know, 24 pages you could probably get away with getting somebody who's unknown. But if you're going to do a really long book, uh, you don't want to be sitting there and get 20 pages in and have them drop out. And unfortunately, that happens a lot from what we understand. And that didn't happen with JC. And as soon as we saw his, like, the way he would pose the characters and, you know, when they were playing the guitars and everything, it was like, okay, he gets it. He's a fan of the music. He gets the, what we're looking for. He, uh, you know, he, he, he captures the Sunset Strip. For a guy who was never there, he's uh, from El Salvador, so uh, he really captures the the mood of the Sunset Strip. And yeah. who else? Who else worked? Oh, sorry. go ahead, Chris. I was uh, now. I know you guys have really researched this. I mean, even going. I mean, you've talked to a bunch of the, the people who are there. I I even know you guys have gone to the Sunset Strip Strip to check things out. Now, was there from? personally being there was there anything that you maybe uh relate to the to your artist uh that you wanted to get in there for sure or anything like that not so much from being there i think that you know us being there i mean it was it was crazy we went to see cinderella on the sunset strip and that was cool but the the problem is is that the sunset strip yeah, this is would so... have been in the 90s and yet yeah. it was like it was like not that busy we went to the concert, not that busy. The sunset's not that busy. We step outside when the concert's, concert's over, about 12.30 in the morning, ready to go home, and it's packed, bumper to bumper. That's when everybody's coming out. Well, because that's <laughs> I when... I would love to have captured that. Yeah, but that's when all the clubs change over. So it's kind of funny because the club that we were in in was the Key Club, Key club. and they have, they have a, you know, they play rock and roll up until about... 12 or 12:30 and then for the rest of it it becomes like a dance pop club like the knitting room or something like that and so you know they cycle one group of fans out and they bring in a whole other new group of fans but i think that's the thing is that all of these people were not there for like Cinderella they were there for the dance pop things that was going that were coming on afterwards so the sunset strip really changed dramatically yeah. So that's something, though, that, you know, I would capture. I would like to capture if we ever do it in the 90s. I don't think this I think it was crazy all the time in the 80s. Um, as far as the look, though, goes, we did provide certain images to the to the artists to say, OK, this needs to look like this or this needs to look like this or this is what we're thinking here. We definitely provided images uh, throughout. But um, most of the time, the, the idea is, OK, let the give him a guideline. This is what's happening. This is the panels we're seeing, but the panel layout, how you tie it all together, the storytelling. We wanted to uh, kind of empower JC 
to do the best job he wanted, to feel like he was part of the process, allow him to be creative. And that was uh, kind of our mindset going into it. And Keith, I'll go back to your what was going to be your follow-up question uh, for the rest of the rest of the people that worked on it. So our colorist was uh, Guillermo Ucha, and uh, he's from Argentina, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, finding Guillermo was uh, was an interesting story because what happened was I was going through a whole bunch of the Comicsology submit books that uh, that I purchased one of their big bundles, and there was a book that uh, that we think was called Lucky Dog. And I don't remember the book per se, but the colors just absolutely popped and stood out to me. And I was, you know, mentioning DeMont and I thought, I was just like, oh, there, I found this guy. It would be so awesome if we could get him. I just don't know if we can. Looked at the, looked at the credits and his email address was actually in the credits. So we emailed him up and he came on the book. So that was awesome. And what he did with the colors was spectacular. Everything looks so bright, so shiny, and so very consistent of that 80s Sunset Strip era. Yeah, that neon glow is there. And then our letter, well, Martin, you tell the letter story. Okay, uh, the letter, the first guy we got was Antonio Toto Esposito from Italy, and he was tremendous uh, as far as his ability. He's a, a graphic artist as well, and so, I mean, it was he was able to create a lot of stuff and just give it like just light. Uh, I think we were saying he probably makes the book 15% better yeah. just because he's so good. And then a little more than halfway through, unfortunately he stopped responding to emails and everything. And uh turned out he had suffered an injury and he couldn't really sit by his desk anymore and, and do the work. And, but he, but he wanted to continue the job. So he just kept putting off telling us, um, but eventually it was like, okay, we need you to either step up and do this or or we need to move on. And unfortunately, we had to move on. He just wasn't ready. He wasn't right and able to do it. And at that point, kind of his behavior left us a little bit not sure if we could trust him in the future. We gave him a second chance. Same thing happened. And so, you know, it was tough to give him a third chance. Then we found Guido Martinez, also from Argentina. He's a uh, writer as well uh, as a letterer. And uh, has produced a, a bunch of books. He has actually, he's on Kickstarter right now. I think he's only got four days to go in his campaign at the time we're recording this. But uh, he's he's an experienced guy. So we went and found a guy who was experienced, still inexpensive. And that way we were pretty sure because uh, Toto really wasn't that experienced as far as work in North America books. But uh, Guido is. So, you know, it's the same same lesson we talked about with the with the letterer or sorry, with the artist. uh you know, get a person who you know is going to finish the project. You know, get your the same thing happened with us with the letter. We, we needed to get somebody who we knew was professional and would finish. Yeah, and Guido has been really super professional, super consistent, and just has, you know, he's been like just such a steady factor through us through the end of the project. I mean, he's finally just wrapped up the final pages of the book. So that means that everything else now is completely in our hands and just it's time to start packaging it and getting it ready for printing. So this is a, this is a ready to go Kickstarter. This is not a give us money and then I'll tell you how I'm writing it for the next five years. Kickstarter. Yeah, no, it's, 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 finished it's completely finished now that guido's given us the last pages i mean everything is done uh we just are ready to print um package the book and print it 
unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, we uh, have to ask for money for the printing. And, and that's, you know, uh, up to this point, we spent thousands of dollars on the book, uh, hiring hiring a person like JC and, and, and the other creators who've worked with us. Uh, so uh, it's time to hopefully get uh, some support from the audience here as a way to support the book. Is a, supporting this book is supporting this website and this this podcast that has given you entertainment for the last decade. Oh wow, the last decade. There's <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, well, I mean, remember this is part of that's this is all part of our tenth anniversary celebration. That's exactly right. <laughs> we, we we actually just it wasn't so much. You know, the book's actually been ready for three years. We just held it off so that uh, so that we'd be ready for the tenth anniversary celebration. <laughs> now, we we did give quite a bit of leeway time, and and when we're going to deliver it, uh, we expect we would be able to deliver it much quicker. But uh, with the, there could be issues with the printers as far as uh, some of them being booked up. Um, the one we, we're looking at is saying that he could get it to us in a reasonable amount of time. But, uh, you know, we're, we're creating ourselves a little leeway there. And same with shipping. There's shipping issues all around the world. So we're giving ourselves a little bit of leeway there. But, uh, you know, we're telling people we wouldn't get it to them until March of 2022. And just being like we'd rather overestimate than underestimate. But uh, I do think we'd probably be quicker than that. Under promise, over deliver. Uh, so the Kickstarter is up now. Uh, it is on until Wednesday, December 8th is what it tells me here. Bright yeah, and early right. in the morning uh, on December 8th. Uh, tell us a bit about the, uh, the, the rewards that you're offering. Uh, yeah, we have several different rewards. Some of them are kind of your classics like postcards that are classics for comic book uh, you know, campaigns and T-shirts and these different things. But we, we tried to make our T-shirts things that you could wear, even if you weren't a fan of the book. Like, it, it doesn't need to be about the book. It's just, like, a cool image, uh, you know, and it's got, like, the tour dates on the back, and it's got a, you know, cool image. Or or just a, a, one of them says, big hair, big sound, big balls, kings of the strip, you know. Just kind of give it that little bit of edge so maybe people would like wearing it, you know, and don't need to explain what it is. Uh or they could if they want to. Um, we got guitar picks that are really, really cool and uh, two-sided guitar picks and drum heads that are, you know, uh, fairly expensive, but super cool looking and a very unique reward. And, uh, yeah, a lot of classic rewards, uh, trading cards as well, uh, baseball caps. Um, hmm, the digital reward is only $15. So, I mean, if you don't want to pay for that shipping, that is unfortunately kind of the killer it's extremely expensive the shipping uh you know so we had to estimate a very high amount for it and in retrospect uh probably would have done it a little bit differently but uh you know shipping is extremely expensive so uh, if you want to avoid that it's just 15 bucks for you know 200 page graphic novel that i'm telling you i believe is very entertaining i think you're gonna laugh a lot there's a, it's a very funny book uh, but it also got a little bit of drama that you might uh, relate to, and I think you'll find a character that you relate to as well. I know I paid a whole lot more for a whole lot less comic book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is true. For sure. And that, and That's that was... right. There's also kind of a Watchmen-inspired supplemental story. Um, one of the things about it is because we're running it out of order and we're putting it together out of order and we're going, this now needs to come in and this needs to come in, and we came. God, I hope this makes sense to other people. And, and supplemental material is sitting there to kind of fill in a little bit of those gaps and also 
So it's things like interviews with the band members or concert reviews or excerpts from their autobiography, that type of thing. Uh, it, it kind of flushes out the world, but I'm pretty confident without that, if you do decide to skip those, as a lot of people do with Watchmen, you know, uh, if you decide to skip that kind of material, that you'll still get a, a really good story and, and enjoy it. As long as we're talking supplementals. Now, I was in probably know a little bit more of what was might have gone on or whatever early on anyway. Uh, what I'm asking is pinups. Are there any pinups? Oh, there are a, there are a few pinups. We uh, we actually hit up our our pals from uh, from the local from the local scene and uh, let's see. So we have. Uh, uh, Nate Miller did a great pinup for us. He did one early. Uh, Cam Hayden did an awesome one just recently that absolutely, uh, <laughs> absolutely crushes it. Yeah, that's those are the only two pinups we have. One of the rewards is you can get drawn by uh, Batman sixty six and friend of the show Scott Kowalchuk. They had drawn jamming with him as as, as part of the band and in a pinup. Uh, into the book in that way, uh, and that's a really cool reward. And then you can also get drawn in jamming with the band in a pinup with by jc uh if you'd like as well that's fantastic i mean it we're we are legally required to ask this of every independent creator uh no matter how independent uh if you could write any marvel or dc book <laughs> <laughs> which one would it be jeez <laughs> go ahead Brett. down rockers <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I don't, man. Yeah, that's Marvel a, fans, that's a deep cut. Yeah, NFL super pro. Yeah, can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's probably there's going to be a month when the when Disney owns the the NFL. So I mean, yeah, that, the, that that may that may come together. That's right. Well, Brad, you answer this one first. I know, I actually have an answer. I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Like I I mean. I don't think too much about that. It would be awesome to get character and the music in there. Um, I think I would love to do a character perhaps more on the smaller side, like even the DC's Prez character and just kind of give, throw more music into Prez. Yeah. Throw more music into Prez or do Dazzler because that's music. Really. Yeah. There you go. Um, for me, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to write a story I have in my head for this, this character's never had a comic book, so it would either be a graphic novel or a miniseries, but I think it would be fascinating. Goldface. I think he's a fascinating character, and that's Harvey Bullock, uh, you know, the uh, kind of the slob detective there from Batman, just one of his, uh, you know, cast members. I would love to do a book with him. So lo looking ahead after, after this book, uh, so we're looking at kind of early 2027, for the, your next project. <laughs> After this, one, it won't be that long because number one, we won't be writing it as we're drawing it. You know, uh, we'll, we'll get a completed script ahead of time. Um, if, if we do another one, there will never be, never be writing and drawing at the same time and having chapters come in and go, he needs the next chapter. We don't have the script yet, you know, and uh, things like that. So we'll never do that again. We'll, we'll probably, I would think that now that we got the origin story out there, we wouldn't have to make it 200 pages again. Uh, you know, just try and make it a tighter book that way. But uh, we really want to get into the actual Sunset Strip and the stories on there and the time in there. I mean, 84 to 88 
is probably the uh, would you say that's the sweet spot Brett? for sure there's no question there's the you know it's because it's when all of those big bands from that moment you know like motley crew was really huge at that point and and then there was you know dokken was definitely out there uh, pretty boy floyd unfortunately came a bit later they were kind of during that 91 phase that really spiked just before the end of the sunset strip but yeah it's it's that it's those early days when we're talking about all the bands that are you know that that basically live in one apartment where it winds up being 10 people in one apartment and the band members date strippers who actually are making the money and are buying them the food so it that's really the era that's right the guys are working day jobs you know like working at porn shops and then going and playing in the band and practicing and you know things like that and the flyering the streets to try and get people there's the flyer wars happening there's uh, you have to pay to play. Uh, you know the bands are doing having to pay to play instead of you know getting paid themselves. And and uh, and what's that apartment building also that's right behind the Sunset Strip that uh, everybody would hang out with and have all these wild parties, and, including the big stars and then the smaller guys would get to hang out with them and you know all that uh, all that great stuff. Like that's we'd love to dig into that. So. Uh, obviously, ups and downs over a five-year journey. Uh, you, you mentioned you, know, you wouldn't write it as you're going again. Uh, are there any, in, including the process of getting this all the way to print? Are there any? Is there what advice would you give someone who's uh, who's starting into this process? Expect it to take a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know and the, and it's funny because we've talked to a lot of guys and that's really come up. A consistent amount is just you know the expectation of of you may think that you can do it in a year or two but you really can't and and i think also just like we alluded to earlier just this concept of if you need to find people to work with you and you want to do something longer then you need to kind of find somebody who's going to be consistent because nothing derails a project faster than when somebody isn't consistent and winds up kind of dropping out and you need to replace them or you need to wait for the person to come back. I know that even like JC had to take some breaks while we were doing the book and I was flatting the book as JC was kind of doing the pages. And then I wound up just kind of, uh, you know, burning out a little bit of flatting the pages and then, and then, JC came back and suddenly he was working really quickly and I got super behind to the point where I had to work like evenings and weekends for the better part of three months just to just to completely get the book caught up so that we could actually start giving it to our colorists. So, I mean, I think that was. And all of that was to save us five dollars a page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A page, you know, which it's big, though. I mean, if you add that up to 200 pages, that's a thousand bucks. And uh Trust me, like I say, we already spent plenty of money regardless. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is not everybody's going to want to do a 200-page book. Let's say you want to do a 64-page graphic novel. Yeah, I mean, give it, you still want to give yourself time. I mean, we could have had this thing done in two years if we had um, if we had been willing to compromise on a lot of stuff quality-wise and we weren't willing to. But like this may be the only book we ever do. We want this to be the best thing we can possibly give you. The, the, the work as hard as we can give you the best book that's possible from us 
and we weren't willing to compromise anything. And, you know, whatever goes on in your personal life can affect the work too, obviously. And, and so you got to give yourself that kind of understanding. And uh, if I was to give some advice, uh, you know, we've already given some, but I would just say be forgiving on yourself. Uh, celebrate your victories and be forgiving on, on, on yourself for, for your faults and, uh, and just keep going. Just don't stop. Just keep grinding. Yeah, for sure. Just, you know, you know, and just if you're willing to put in the work and if you're willing to just know that you can't get everything perfect, you can't get everything right. There's going to be some mistakes. I know that there's mistakes in the book. I know that there's things that we did wrong, but at the end of the day, this was the best that we could do with what we had. Well, unless you got anything else, Chris, that sounds like a great place to wrap up. Uh, I got one quick question and then we can go out. I was just going to ask, you know, hair metal, the sunset strip, it's been in the zeitgeist for a couple of years. Stories are starting to come out from that era. I'm sure I'm 100% sure it's going to be bigger in the future. While you were writing this, did you stay away from um, consuming uh, other people's interpretations of the strip? Like, did you did you guys avoid watching the Motley Crew biopic or the documentary? I, I no, I didn't see that. Brett Brett saw it. Yeah, I watched it. I didn't it. see it. At, uh, I did the actual scripting duties, so it probably was good that I didn't watch it. Brett did. Uh, well, Brett came up with the concept, the characters, the timeline of events, editing, flatting, all this other stuff. <laughs> you know, I just provided uh, some pocketbook and some some scripting. Um, so I wanted to avoid everything like that because I didn't want it to influence the story. Once the story started to take place beforehand, it was fine doing all the research. But once the story starts taking place, I didn't want anything to influence it. Yeah, it's funny. I found that that I think that once once we got rolling, there wasn't actually that much that could influence us because we we had so much stuff going. Now th there would be a few things here and there that that would kind of pop up, and it was just like, oh, that we kind Love of to fit that in. Yeah, yeah, that that would need to go in. That should go in because it will actually help the story that we're trying to tell. But the story that we were trying to tell was actually quite you know, quite consistent at this point. Yeah, we have a scene that takes place on a tour bus and that, and we wanted to capture what it was like to be on a tour bus look wise. And that was just because of talking to people in the, we talk music, you know, and you'd hear stories about so, from the tour bus. I mean, a lot of the best ones we couldn't fit in there, but we wanted to have that environment because for instance, you know, we're influenced by that. Uh, but it's, it's really it's like if this characters become real enough and the to characters totally became real enough to us, each one of them became a fully rounded, full character to us, then it becomes their story, not ours. And it, we're just sort of telling their story for them. So it, it, it becomes there's a certain point where it's like, OK, nothing can really influence it because that wouldn't be right for these characters anyways. What's right for these characters in the way they would interact with each other or the way that they would you know, want to, when they would want to leave the band and the reason why and all this and that becomes organic to who they are. So, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. All right. Well, traditionally we wrap up with, uh, plug your shit. So how can folks support this Kickstarter? Uh, go to Kickstarter, uh, <laughs> type in Kings of the Strip. Uh, if you type in Kings of the Strip, it'll show up. I think it's like the third thing that shows up on Google right now for 
Kickstarter. So Kings of the Strip. I mean, I don't think you need uh, me to spell that out to you. I'm pretty sure everyone here who's listening can spell Kings of the Strip. It's quite simple. And if I keep on saying Kings of the Strip, it's because I do want to get that into your head. <laughs> yeah. We were told that people need to get need, people need to see things seven times before it really sticks in their in their head. So. That's why I keep mentioning Kings of the Strip, but I won't mention Kings of the Strip anymore now. No, oh, fair enough. So, but uh, but also you can support Kings of the Strip if you go to wetalkpodcast.com. And so, if you are listening to this podcast, chances are you figured out where We Talk Podcast is. <laughs> so then, that will also allow you to support Kings of the Strip. Yeah, that would be our graphic novel, Kings of the Strip. Yeah. Yeah, you can. The, our graphic novel, Kings of the Strip. I don't know if you heard about it, but it's, it's called Kings of the Strip. And, uh, yeah, there's a link to the Kickstarter, obviously, on the front page in the sticky post. It's, and, uh, yeah, so uh, support We Talk Comics, support uh, We Talk Podcast, support us. Get yourself a damn good book. Uh, you know, go get that digital for $15 at least, if nothing else. And, uh, you know, read Kings of the Strip. Well, I'm I'm really excited to read it. I've seen little bits over over the years. Uh, I've always been impressed with what, what do you guys uh, I've seen. Think of the, uh, what do you guys think of the art and the the pictures you've seen, the the art and the coloring and that stuff? I'm just curious. What do you guys, you know, what is your thought of the the, the look of the book from what you've seen? I, I really it's like nice. this. It's perfect for what you're doing. I quite liked it. I, I quite like what I'm seeing. There's there's a half dozen or so sample pages on the Kickstarter for Kings of the Strip uh, that uh, show you uh, that you know you get a feel for what the book looks like, what it feels like. Um, you know, it, this is a, a, a running joke is uh, that uh, new writers tend to overwrite. This doesn't look like that. This feels no. very fluid. Uh, the, the the joke being that one of my books has no words in it. Uh, overcompensating for that cliche. This was the one thing that was the one thing that it was okay from the beginning. We don't want to overwrite like a young writer does because we're not young. We're just new, (laughs) and we're not gonna. We don't want to overwrite. And it became is this basically the script is written and try and write it with as little dialogue as possible while telling the story and not using. Uh, first-person captions, because I, I find that to be lazy writing most of the time, though it's what I'm doing right now for another project, so that sucks. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's what I have to do for that project. Um, but, yeah, I it, it became don't put too much in it. And then when we'd send it off to the to – the, uh, to the, like I would give it to Brett, and he would edit it. And then before sending it off to the, to the artist, it would get another go trying to eliminate words. And then before it went to the letter, it would get a third go, eliminating as many words as possible. So it's definitely not overwritten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're aiming for underwritten. <laughs> yeah, no, it's try and try and get the same message, the same personality, uh, character, everything like that. Try and get it in in as few words as possible was the goal. Well, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled for you guys that you're finally getting this into the world, and uh, you know. I don't sell yourself short. It, very few people, uh, you know, t- eh, walk the walk, as they say. Uh, a lot of people have the story in them and just continue to talk about it happening. A um, couple of months, I'm going to get to see what you guys did. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I guarantee you you're going to get to see what we did. <laughs> yes, that's true. That, is, <laughs> that is for sure. But, 
Guarantee it. For better or for worse. <laughs> but <laughs> but but that was it. I, you know? I think you guys will really enjoy it. I mean, I really I feel very confident that it's a book that reads really well. And we just couldn't, you know, after after like you say with that with that whole point of there's a lot of people that talk about it. We knew that if we only got three quarters of the way through, not only would we truly be one of those people, but it would be doing us a disservice just for all the money that got put into the book and all the people that worked on it. You know, they deserve uh-huh. us finishing it and we deserve us finishing it. And and honestly, it, it was part of a motivation of doing the book in the first place was this person keeps on saying they're going to write a book or do a book and they never do it. You know, what a loser. I don't want to be like that. Yes, <laughs> I don't want people thinking I'm like that. I'm going to do it. Okay, I'm going to do it, but I better finish it then. Yeah, if we're going to be losers, we're going to be losers who at least made the damn thing. Yeah, exactly. And and I mentioned the you know the moment that you guys uh, told us you were making this. You you had pages by the point you even told us, uh, who are, as far as I know, reasonably close friends. Uh, <laughs> We've met you before, yes. <laughs> Associates. Um, <laughs> Having recorded about 500 hours of podcast together. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you definitely were not talking about it without uh, money where your mouth is because you had pages before you even uh, told us about it. Yeah, that's right. At that point, we'd already been working on it for a year. So we had about our first four chapters of the 22 chapters or whatever it is. Twenty, <laughs> I think it's 20 chapters, actually, if I remember correctly. Something yeah. like that. It's 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 a lot of chapters. It's it's. Of course, we call them stanzas, for the oh, world's nice. longest song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the the, the song that is over two hundred pages. <laughs> I, if if there's a chorus that repeats three times, that's probably a printing error, though, right? <laughs> no, that's just that's just gang vocals. That, that's that's typical, <laughs> actually. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad we could take this time and uh, and and promote what you guys are doing. And uh, uh, thrilled to be supporting it uh, with my own money. And uh, um, encourage everyone to do the same. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate taking the time to talk to us about it. Uh, you know, it seems the least we could do is do a We Talk Comics on it. Uh, you know, we've been doing a little bit of promotion, a few different things, but this is. Uh, this one's especially special because it is our own podcast and, uh, you know, and it's you guys who are talking to us. So, you know, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. And with that, we are O-U-T with the Kings, Kings. of the Strip. Kings of the Strip. Kings of the Strip. Kings of the Strip. <laughs>